So Romans chapter 10. And, uh, and we began our study in Romans making a little more progress than we have been as of late. <clears throat> Here we are this week and we're really not going to spend time in one verse. But I believe the reason today, and we're really going to develop some aspects that are in this verse that are, are particularly applicable to us right now. I believe there's a dynamic of faith that's being addressed in this passage that, that we are needing to hear, particularly as God awakens in us as a church a sense of what it is to be a house of prayer, what it is to be a people who pray. You don't just have prayer as something that goes on in Christianity, but as the very centerpiece of our lives. Now, faith is to prayer what, what fuel is to an engine. And if you want to stop the engine from running... There's a couple of ways to do that. One of them is to cut the fuel line off. And so where the enemy, I believe, wants to go after keeping churches from being a, a house of prayer is to go after the fuel for prayer. Go after faith. And we talked a little bit last week about the, the fact that when we look in the Bible and we see faith operating, that faith operation delineates the difference between what we're calling faith sometimes in a religious setting and what the Bible calls faith. The difference between merely hearing and heeding. Faith produces heeding. And genuine faith is going to be a, a fuel to our prayers. When you and I stand before God's throne and begin to call out to God in prayer, it's faith that launches us toward God in that moment. When you and I lack faith, that's when we get disinterested in prayer. Prayer is not attractive. Because there's something about faith that compels us to see something in God and to have a sense of confidence that that thing that we see is going to take place. So therefore we pray. And we said something about the character of God's sovereignty and His determination to accomplish His will fuels for us the fact that we would even venture into prayer. And so I believe this is particularly important for us as God wants us to become a people who have placed prayer at the very centerpiece of our lives, we're not going to place it there if we're not walking in faith. Now, last week, as we talked about this verse, we talked about the hearing and heeding that takes place in this passage. Today, I want to talk about what is faith and how can we get it. And that's really what this passage introduces to us. Let's read just a portion here. Romans 10. Verse 16 and 17. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So here's a group who had heard, but they had not believed. They were informed, but they weren't full of faith. And, and again, as we said last week, we've got to hold on to the reality that that can be us. Not just us. Before we were saved, but it can be us after we're saved. We are informed. We are well informed. You know how many counseling meetings I've been in that sound like this? Well, yeah, I know that. I mean, you, you've done that too, right? You've sat and talked with folks and they're going through something and they're dragging their face through life. And, and you step in and you share something with them. And, I, I know that. We are informed, but we're not in faith for what we know. 
And so we need to be bothered a little bit by how much we know that doesn't find a place of reality in our lives. That's a faith issue. It's that we've heard, but we really have not heeded. Look at verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So there's there's a means for us to obtain something from God in the faith category, in the area of belief. There's a, a bit of a mechanism. There's a way for us to arrive at a place where faith is operating in our life in a greater way. But let me, let me back up from this subject just for a second and, and maybe reassess a little bit about what are we anticipating when it comes to this whole category of faith and how it's going to be operating in us. I put a, a heading in your outline from faith to faith. That you and I need to have our expectations adjusted. Sometimes, sometimes we don't arrive at the place where God has us to arrive because we're aiming at the wrong thing. Usually what we do in Christianity is we, we kind of dumb down the great things that God describes. And we, we put them within arm's reach of man. And maybe if it's not within arm's reach, it's at least within jumping distance. I can train myself. I can eventually, I can get there. And so we kind of pull God's great expectations down to a level where we can kind of almost touch it. Well, let me say this. We do that all around this, this country. All around this world is being done that in the realm of religion. Dumbing down the high call of God to something that man can reach out and touch in his own strength and effort. That's where we get a lot of religious belief systems today. You know, we, we need to be confronted by a God who says, you will be perfect as I am perfect. You'll be holy as I am holy. See, when you don't get that, you can't get all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, what we have made religion this thing that, that man's efforts come awful close to God's requirements. And therefore, if we'll just do a little bit more than what we're doing, then we'll achieve acceptance before God. We're doing that, for those of us, you know, that's a good description of a works-based religious concept. But, you know, some of us are doing that in the realm of, of good, biblical, evangelical faith as well. We're taking the mighty things that God has described and we're dumbing them down. And we're removing the supernatural. There's churches all over the place that so don't ever look for the supernatural in their midst. Just remove that. You know, the works that... That I do, and greater works than these shall you do, for I go to the Father. Well, let's pull that verse out of the Bible. Because that requires us to believe at a level that's beyond what you and I can pull off. Let's turn the Bible into a, an encouragement for us to be nicer to each other. We can do that. Let's turn it into a message that you and I are supposed to, to take the content of this message to other people. We can do that. Right? Door-to-door salesmen do stuff like that, don't they? You don't, need the, you don't need the Holy Spirit to bring a, a bucket full of words to somebody else. People do that all the time. You get calls from telemarketing people, don't you? They just bring in information to you. But when we start talking about what God had in mind, I think you don't need to set our target somewhere else than where we've lowered it to in this least common denominator Christianity that we've created. So when we look at this, there's an element where we're to move in our Christianity from faith to faith. And, and I think that we need to hear today, how can I lay hold of faith in such a way 
that in all of the faith dynamics of my life, there's an increase. There's growth. I'm not in the same place. I am moving in categories and areas of my life. I'll put a couple of passages in here. Romans chapter 1. We go back into the earlier part of Romans in verse 16. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. And I, I believe there, when it comes to being saved, and the whole element of this life of salvation, there is a faith. And I'm going to be careful to say that because I'm going to break it out here and make it look like there's several of them. There is a faith in Christianity. It's the faith that God gives that brings us into a, a justified posture with God. That same faith, though, doesn't stop there. That same faith takes on greater proportions. It's like once it gets introduced into our lives, it begins to spread and touch other dynamics of us. The first thing it did was just bring us into the kingdom. But that's not the only thing it does, and it doesn't stop there. For the righteous will live by faith. So you and I, we don't just need faith to get right with God, though we do need faith to get right with God. You and I need faith to live this thing out once we have arrived in a relationship with Him. Luke 17 says, The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you have faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. I don't believe Jesus is rebuking them, their prayer and saying, you don't need to ask for more. All you need is a mustard seed. I think what he's saying is you don't even got a mustard seed yet. But if you just had a little, this stuff's potent. It is so powerful that if you just had a little bit of it, you'd be capable of incredible things. That's what he's saying. Because he doesn't, anywhere else in the scriptures, doesn't chide anybody for, for their desire to increase in their faith. But in, in our concept, all of us need to own this. Can faith increase? Can it be something today that it wasn't last week? Can it be something a year from now that it's not right now? And if it can, what can you and I do for that to occur in our lives? 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3 says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged. Oh, I would want the Apostle Paul to say that about us. I would want him to have visited us at one point, come back and visit us again and say, oh, your faith is greatly enlarged. It's not where it used to be. That needs to be our expectation. John 15, 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. See, this is the Christian life. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of faith. So faith begins in a place in our life, bringing us into salvation, but that's not its ending point. It's going to go on from there into other dimensions. Now, when we say faith to faith, I'm going to play with those words for a moment. I believe faith begins by bringing us from the faith that really is unbelief into the faith that is saving faith. And you know, there's a lot of, quote, faith out there today that's really unbelief. Remember what I said last week? Unbelief is not the lack of belief. Unbelief is actively believing the wrong thing. 
And if I can get that in my mind, then I can see how I can go from the wrong kind of faith to the right place of faith. I mean, today, we live in a, we live in a religious culture. There's religious faith all around us. There's lots of folks who believe, they even believe a lot of right things. But, you know, biblically, you can believe a lot of the right things and still be wrong. Now, I want us to stick on that for a second because I know that's not in our culture today. Today, it's like if you just got, you got faith in the man upstairs or a higher power or, or something that's greater than man, then, then that's almost acknowledged in the faith community as faith. Can I tell you, that's still unbelief. I mean, you remember, we go back, I'm not going to re-preach this, you can go back and get the tape. The end of Romans 9, beginning of, of chapter 10. It says, speaking of Israel, it says that they did not succeed. So why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. And it goes on in chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, this is not a description that's being written about the, the heathen in the dark jungles of Africa somewhere. This is written about the Israelites who were well informed, acknowledged many things, and actually had, had kind of formed their life in many ways. Their life's practice was being formed out of many right beliefs. Yet, they were not saved. This is an uncomfortable thought. It really shouldn't be an uncomfortable thought if we're biblically informed. But I know today, this is an unpopular thought. The way in which world religions are being handled today. You know, the, the whole conflict that our country has come into, a conflict with Islamic national governments, has thrust other belief systems into the, the, the view of our news broadcast and, and how leaders are commenting about those things. And, and many times they are, they are giving a sense of approval to them as though they don't believe like us, but that's okay and we need to this and that. You know, we need to do a lot of things that are, that are right in relating to other human beings, but we do not validate unbelief. If your faith is not in the person and the work of Jesus Christ to save you completely by his grace, then you are walking in unbelief. And clearly that's what the Bible teaches. So we need to move from, from a position of faith to saving faith is the first thing that's got to happen in a person's life. We need to move away from religious faith into saving faith. Move away from cultural faith into saving faith. And we live in a Christian nation, don't we? There's no such thing as a Christian nation. There's Christian individuals, and there might be a whole bunch of them in that neighborhood, but it doesn't mean everybody is because there's people around them who are Christians. And even more dangerous, I think, than some of those is, is what I would call an idolatrous impersonator faith. It, this is the faith where a person acknowledges what the Bible says, acknowledges that they do believe, but, but when you watch their life over a course of time, Jesus Christ, the gospel, never becomes the dominant feature on the landscape of their lives. It's like Jesus was, you know, a little item they picked up in the, in the dollar store. It's, it's a rabbit's foot. 
that they carry around. You know, when there's a crisis, they pray, kind of respond to them. Oh, oh, they might even show up for church a couple of times. And when you talk to them, it's like they have this kind affection. Listen, there's no such thing as having kind affection for Jesus Christ. It doesn't get worked out in the realities of who we are. What we need to do away with, that's nonsense. It lowers. Now, now help me here. Help me, because I, I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bang on something here in just a second. Which is greater? Almighty God touching you or an RTA transit bus? Which is greater? Right? Familiar illustration here. You walk out on Veterans Highway and an RTA transit bus hits you going 60 miles an hour. Will your life be affected by that? Yes. Unquestionably, at best, you're going to walk with a limp. Something's going to happen here. (laughs) At some point in your life, your belief in the person of Christ gets touched by a sovereign, almighty God. What are you going to look like after that? Don't tell me that bus is going to more severely affect your life than the sovereign, powerful, almighty God. Yet we have, we have a, a brand of Christianity out there that's a form of belief where Christ never becomes the dominant player. Never! And the Bible would make an argument for whether He really has saved you if He is not the Lord working out salvation in your life. I'm not talking about instant perfection, instant dominance. I'm talking about a growing effect of the life and spirit of God beginning to dominate more and more of who I am. I believe there's a form of unbelief in that. We need to move from faith to faith. But when we move into this saving realm of faith, that's not the end. Unfortunately, you can, you can think that's the end if you, if you hang out in, in churches where all you hear being promoted is you need to come to Christ. You need to come to Christ. You need to get saved. It's, it's an evangelistic presentation week in and week out. Well, that's just the front door. Welcome to the front door of the house. Now, we need to move from foyer faith to the rest of the, the building faith in Christianity. We need to move to sanctifying faith in our life. We need to move to the place where God has saved me from the reign of sin. Now He wants to conquer sin in me. He wants to become the reigning dominant feature in my life. He wants to subdue sin. He wants to send out His mighty warriors by the Spirit into my life and bring down what the enemy has been building fortifications in my life. Tearing that stuff down and building something else in its place. And that needs to look a certain way. Now listen, this is, this is a matter of faith. Now we studied this verse in Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Verse 13, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So so part of this sanctifying faith is putting to death the deeds of the body. Now, whatever those deeds are for you, get a hold of them for a second. Whether it's pride, gossip, anger, jealousy, insecurity, lust, whatever your issues are, get a hold of them for a minute. So that we can get a reality of what's faith doing in these areas of our life. It's a little quote from John Piper's 
book, Future Grace. I didn't put this in your outline. He says, how then do we obey Romans 8.13 to put to death the deeds of the body, to kill lust? We have answered by faith in future grace. But practically, what does that involve? Suppose I'm tempted to lust. Some sexual image comes into my mind and beckons me to pursue it. The way this temptation gets its power is by persuading me to believe that I will be happier if I follow it. Listen, this principle is so important. If that's foreign words for you, you've got some serious studying to do. That is the core of every moment of defeat in every Christian's life. It starts right there. Because everything you and I are doing is out of faith. You and I are living our lives out of faith. Either faith in what God has said or faith in something else. So in the moment that I sin, I am walking in faith. It just happens to be faith in a lie. And it sounds just like this. The way this temptation gets its power is by persuading me to believe that I will be happier if I follow it. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. Please make sure you know that. All of us have got to be convinced that we sin because we're convinced that that thing will be better for us. Even if it's a momentary better. No one sins out of a sense of duty. <laughs> when what they really want is to do what's right. Everybody wants to do what's right. But we end up sinning because we get convinced of something else. So what should I do? Some people would say, remember God's command to be holy. And exercise your will to obey because he is God. But something crucial is missing from this advice, namely faith in future grace. A lot of people strive for moral improvement who cannot say, the life I live, I live by faith. They strive for the purity of love, but don't realize that love is the fruit of faith in future grace. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Now listen to this. When faith has the upper hand in my heart, I am satisfied with Christ and his promises. This is what Jesus meant when he said, He who believes in me shall never thirst. See, it's the thirsting dynamic that makes me want to go drink from that and from that and from that. And once I tie that, I'll try a little more of that. But he who believes my faith rooted in Christ is what's going to satisfy the thirst that's in me. When my thirst for joy and meaning and passion are satisfied by the presence and promises of Christ, the power of sin is broken. We do not yield to the offer of sandwich meat when we can smell the steak sizzling on the grill. So see, sin is an issue of faith. And you and I need to move from faith to a place of greater faith to where sin is being conquered and the very fruit and life of the Spirit is beginning to be manifest in our lives. We, we need to get a, a dissatisfaction for the idea that, well, that's just the way I am. I, I've always been that way. My mom was that way. You know, I will acknowledge this because I think the Bible acknowledges it. There are unique things about our 
personal makeup and dynamics that make certain sins more prevalent and more tempting for some than for others. I don't think everybody faces the same temptation in every category. I think for some people, the temptations are in these two or three categories. That's, man, that, that's my battleground right there. Somebody else comes along and says, man, I'm struggling with this. And we kind of look at them like, why? <laughs> Just get over it. You know, um, If they're wise and they know us well enough, they can just immediately go to our three categories and say the same to us. Why are you struggling in that? There's unique dynamics here. But the reality is, when we come to the Bible's presentation of transformation and of God conquering our sin, yeah, some, some cities are harder to conquer than others, but they're still conquerable. Because it's the same God who's going to work in that battle as the one who works in this battle over here. This one's little to us, that one's big to us, but you know, to God, neither one of them is all that impressive. But, but do, do you and I have a faith that says, I believe I'm going to be different. I believe I'm going to conquer that thing. Wow, man, Keith, you don't know, man. I'm battling this thing every day. Well, you may be battling it in unbelief. You may have become more convinced of your opponent than you are of God. You may, you may be fooling yourself and thinking that you are really sincerely believing when what you are doing is, is creating a viable excuse for that thing to stay in our lives. Now, I am talking about the thing you got rid of. Right now, I'm talking about the thing you can't seem to shake. That thing. That thing's an intruder. It's a lie. And whether it's been around for a long time or not, it's, no, it's, it's not welcome as the feature of who you are. See, the Spirit has come, and by faith, I need to start believing that the Spirit will dominate even that area of my life. And faith is an attitude. There's something in faith that creates this attitude. It's an attitude of, I will, I can, this will happen. Now, I grew up playing sports and played for you know, just about all the sports I could figure out how to play. And most of the time, didn't manage to play for real successful teams. I don't know, maybe it was me. But every once in a while, I'd play for a team that was successful. Um, had a few of them that, that were very successful. One of them was a, an eighth grade basketball team that we, we never lost. We won every game in the entire season. Uh, the other one that I could remember was uh, several years ago playing softball here at Lakeview. We had a team called the Stripes, and we won the whole regional championship, whatever that thing was. And I can remember an attitude that was part of both of those teams. Uh, there's something about winning that you start expecting you're going to win. We're just going to win. And we went through that season and never lost. You know, it almost didn't matter if you were like late in the game. You just kind of knew somehow we're just going to win. And it affected the way you played. It affected your approach to the game. And sure enough... We'd pull it out. We'd end up winning. Never lost. We were kind of that way playing softball. We could be losing going into the last couple of innings, losing bad. And somehow, we just pull it out and win. We just started knowing. We'll win. We'll win. Yeah. It's like it's inevitable. But you know, when you play for a losing team, it's exactly the opposite, isn't it? <laughs> you go into the game knowing, we're going to lose. I mean, you're preparing during the week. You know, it's like practice on Tuesday and you're just knowing, uh, we're going to lose. You know. In the game, you could be winning. We're going to fumble. I mean, I know, interception, something. It's kind of like watching the Saints game, isn't it? <coughs> you don't understand. Um, 
There's not an attitude, and believers can get that. We stumble and sin enough times that we stop walking in faith. Listen, we're believing God to save us. And if we understood how big the wall was in that city that was overcome, we would see this as a stepping stone. For God to conquer you and me and our rebellion and unwillingness and save us, and for us to think, yeah, but you know, I've got this problem in my life, and you know, I've got this attitude thing happening. Oh, man, I don't know how that could ever be. Oh. We start thinking we're going to lose. We go into that, I'm going to lose. I know this week I'm going to lose. See, there's an element of faith. That's not faith. And you and I can stand up and say, well, man, I know what the Bible says. Uh, through our God we shall do valiantly. You know, God's going to give us victory. We can, we can quote all these ideas, but what I want to know is, is there an attitude in you that I'm going to win? I will win. Because if it's not there, we've got hearing, but we don't have heeding. We've got information, but we're not in faith about what it is that we're meditating and thinking about. Because faith has a bit of an attitude associated with it. Now, one of the other things I want to encourage us in is, you know, faith to faith. Unbelief that's, that's cultural, that's religious, that needs to become justifying, saving faith. Now, this is the same faith that morphs our life in the category of sanctification. We begin to get released from the oppression of sin and overcome things and change in our lives. But, you know, Christianity is not just that. Christianity is, is the powerful demonstration of the life of the Spirit in ministry. And this is a category being left alone by way too many Christians. We need to go from faith to faith, from I'm saved, I've become a nicer person faith, to I'm taking the gospel and advancing the kingdom of God into the lives of the lost, into the people of God's hearts. I'm going to be advancing the kingdom of God and a faith in us that gets us in the game. You know how many Christians are in the game? How many Christians have a bleacher mentality? They think they're in the stadium, they're in the game. How many of you know that when you show up for a game, whether you go see a high school football game, whether you go see a pro, pro game, uh, you prepared differently when you came to sit in the stands versus the, when you were playing the game. Didn't you? How many of you are sitting in the stands when you come to your covenant group meeting? Right? I mean, no, no prep, no faith, no God's gonna. Man, I'm here. Something's gonna happen tonight. I have a word from, I have a sense from the Lord. Go to the covenant group leader coming up before the meeting. I've just been praying this week. Well, you know, if you're in the game, you've been practicing all week. You're in the game. Christianity today is a bunch of bleacher people. It doesn't take much faith to sit in the stands. But it takes faith to step out, doesn't it? There needs to be some power in the midst of God's people. I'm talking just power for a few people who are known for power. Power is a common thing in the Bible for believers. You remember Paul's presentation? Look, turn to just a couple of pages back here in Romans 15. Listen to this. So this ought to affect us of what we're believing for. Romans 15, verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. 
by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And other translations say, I have fully preached the gospel. See, the full presentation of the gospel is not just in word, it's in deed. It's with signs and wonders and with the power and demonstration of the Spirit. See, I've got to move from faith that God can save me to faith that God can use me. To faith that God can use me to put my hands on somebody and something supernatural can occur. Faith to believe that God wants to fill me with His Holy Spirit. And when He does that, He wants to give me divine enablements in my life. And, and a giftless life. A life where I don't see supernatural manifestations of God's presence in my life is unacceptable. I believe if we were walking in the New Testament era and we found ourselves in these churches, they would question whether we were believers by the lack of of spirit dynamic in our lives. Because for them... It was, it was the faith that saved them, that began to change them, that began to be making them useful in the kingdom of God. So, you know, do I have faith? And this is not just a matter of, well, there's an altar call, there's an opportunity. When you respond, are you responding in faith? When you, when you come up and it's a, we're going to pray for people to be filled with the Spirit, are you kind of mentally checking off, okay, well, I know that category exists in the Bible. Here's an opportunity of being asked to come forward. Okay, all right. Here I am, God. Okay. Or do you come in faith? See, faith has an attitude about it. Faith is anticipating. Faith knows something. Faith has got confidence associated with it. So if I'm coming to experience the Spirit of God, am I, am I believing I'm really going to experience the Spirit of God? Is that a settled fact in my life? See, we need to go from faith to faith. So all the things we're going to talk about in faith needs to get updated and adjusted God wants to do something in this realm of faith. But what are you and I expecting to see happen? Now, let me walk through some thoughts here in this passage. Let's, let's back up here in Romans again, chapter 10. Let's ask this question. What is faith? What is faith? And this, this is such a huge topic. I was not really wanting to dig very far into this, but I, I need to touch on a few elements here. You can't get away from the biblical definition for faith that's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. New American Standard says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is assurance and conviction. NIV says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. King James says, Faith is the evidence, it's the substance of what we hope for. So, faith has this, this element to it. It's got an attitude to it. It's got words associated with it like assurance and conviction and certainty. See, now we're talking the realm of expectation. Something that's anticipating. Something in us that's laying a hold of something out there. And primarily what we'll see in the Bible is something in God. That we're laying a hold of that in a real way. So real that it's affecting my attitude. I have a sense of, of conviction about this, a sense of certainty about it. Not a sense of, well, okay, well, I'll, I'll go through the motions of that. Well, when I played for losing ball teams, we showed up for the games. But we didn't show up with the same attitude. Now, there, there wasn't that sense of, of 
good swagger when you walked in, knowing that we're going to win. We always win. We'll win again. When you play for a loser, you, you just know. Or you don't want to go after the game to eat. You know, I'm just like, we're just moving on to something else. <laughs> you know, you can show up in these meetings that way. Right now, the feature for Sunday is, where y'all want to go for lunch? See, I, I, I want to feel this more, and I want us to feel it more as a church. When we leave here on a Sunday, did God's agenda get accomplished? And if it didn't, I want to be bothered. I want to maybe be bothered and, and not be concerned about lunch. I'm saying it's wrong to have lunch. I eat after the meeting, so don't go weird on that. But if I am coming with a sense of, I believe God wanted this to occur, and there's a certainty and assurance, and we, we get here, then, then I ought to be bothered by that. Something in me needs to be dissettled about it, because what I was sure about isn't happening. In the realm of prayer... Boy, we ought to always be butting against this. We ought to be asking big and for biblical reasons. If we're not seeing it happen, then we ought to find out why. And not be, not be just, down, oh, let's just downgrade prayer. You know, it sounds big and monumental in the Bible, but really it's just about this. It's just about feeling better about difficult circumstances. Just to say that, well, you know, we're praying about that. Don't expect anything to happen, but we're praying. You can check that off. See, we're going through a lot of motions, but we don't necessarily believe. We're unbelieving believers in many, many ways. I would call faith a sixth sense that the believer possesses. That when you and I look at life, <clears throat> faith is this additional ability that God gives to the believer to take in the environment more accurately. Right? You and I take in our environment by seeing and hearing, tasting and smelling and touching. We assimilate data about our lives based on that. Now, the person who doesn't have faith or doesn't walk in faith, that's the information that he bases his life on. What I see, what I hear, what I can smell and taste and touch, that's my information. Now, the person walking in faith has one more category that he's got to consult before he makes a decision on the data that he's gathered. Because faith is gathering some more data into his life. And that is going to be, that's why I call this message, what did I call it? Faith, the final answer. Faith needs to be the final answer. You and I look at life, the final answer needs to be what faith says about it. And not what my natural ability says about it. Now, in a sense, in a sense our, our sight is a dominant sense. In our lives. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight, because sight to us, it communicates so much. If you are, if you're in your house and uh, maybe you're off in your bedroom, you start smelling something. It smells something, something burning. Your nose begins to convey data to you. Something, something is on fire. The smoke detector goes off. You know, that panicky, obnoxious sound. This is, it's immediately your ears have taken in another sound, which has just, it's full of emotion. It's full of panic. And you hear your child from the other room going, fire, fire, 
right? Your ears are hearing now. Emotion is attached. All that data is being accumulated by you. You go running out of the room, right? I mean, at that point, you're not just kind of like, oh, I wonder what that could be. I'll get to it in a minute. Right? All that information has communicated to you. Panic! Right? And you're out of there, freaking out, running in the other room. You get in the other room, your eyes see that it's toast that has burned in the toaster. That has just happened to produce enough smoke to set the alarm off. Your child overreacted and freaked out. In that moment, your eyes have the final say-so, don't they? It overrides everything else. I mean, your emotions, your ears, your sense of smell have all said, freak out, 911, get the hoses, ruin the house. I mean, everything in you has said, take a course of action. But your sight has overridden them all. He said, it's all right to open the windows, you know, no big deal. Faith needs to operate in the believer that way. You and I take in life. We, we see it through our eyes. We hear it through our ears. We taste it. We experience it. Our imagination goes to work on it. Our memories get associated in there. And all of a sudden, emotionally, we are, we're either freaking out, we're panicking, or we're down. Or we're just you know, Somewhere along the line, faith needs to weigh in on what's going on here. Faith needs to have the final answer for us. I need to look through the eyes of faith that sees something in God. And then I see that circumstance. And when that happens, what a difference. What a difference from panic, running through my life, consumed, thinking about all the wrong things, emotionally stretched out. And God comes in by faith. And when he comes in by faith, what a difference takes place in us. Jim Cimbala says, what is faith? It is total dependence upon God that becomes supernatural in its working. People with faith develop a second kind of sight. They see more than just the circumstances. They see more than just the circumstances. Oh, this is where Christians are every bit as guilty as an unbelieving lost world of being unbelievers. We look at our life and we only see the circumstances. Faith sees more than the circumstances. They see God right beside them. I love this passage in Hebrews 11. It says a lot in a very little space. This is speaking of Moses. It says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. See, when Moses surveyed his life, Moses is, Moses is playing for the top team in the world. Right? Moses is in. He's in Egypt. He's, he's in. He's in the right family. He's in the right setting. The riches of Egypt are at his disposal. But he sees something else. And the final answer for his life is determined by what he sees that nobody can see in the natural. It's what faith sees. Faith sees something in God that he bases his whole life on that. Now, in the natural sense, did it make any sense for Moses to leave Egypt? To leave his position? No. But he saw something beyond what he took in in the natural and that made it make all the sense in the world to do what he did and to leave Egypt for what he had seen by faith. Richard Phillips 
says the situation in which faith takes place is that in which things are hoped for but not yet possessed or manifested. Faith concerns unseen spiritual realities. Hold on to those two words. Unseen realities. Unseen realities. Because we don't see it, does that mean it's not real? No. The most real dynamic of eternal significance is what we do not see in our lives. Things as they are in God's sight, though unseen by us. Faith, therefore, relates to the things we do not yet have, to the things we hope for and do not see, the things that are promised by God but are so far unfulfilled in our experience. Faith, then, is our attitude toward our circumstances, particularly toward uncertainty and want. By faith, listen, by faith we live as if things were other than they appear because of what God has said. That's an excellent definition for faith. When you and I are living as though things are not as they appear because of what God has said, we need to realize to live as though things are as they appear in the natural is unbelief. That's what unbelief has as its core. We walk, Paul said, we walk by faith, not by sight. Walking in faith means my life's decisions, my feelings, my thoughts about future possibilities must factor in something I cannot see. It must. Now, you stop for a moment and you think about what, what are you worried about lately? What are you all lathered up about? What have you schemed and planned and redone 18 times in your mind, right? You're, you're analyzing that situation. Well, I could do that. Could do that. And you just the more you think about it, the more you think of ways you could do it. You're making plans. Your emotions are out over here somewhere because stuff that's happening in your life, people are responding to you a certain way. Something's gone wrong at work, and so your emotions are way out over here. Can you stop for a moment and think, are you factoring in something you do not see? Intentionally stopping by faith and saying, God, God, I need to see you in this. I need to hear from you in this. I need to factor in what you're saying as I'm plotting and thinking and planning for my life and how I'm going to respond and what plans I'm going to make. I'll give you a real simple anatomy of walking by faith. First, life confronts us. When you get on this, this treadmill of life, this escalator of life, it starts moving. And stuff starts coming. Right? You can't stop it, can you? You'd like to take a break sometime, but there's no off switch. Life just keeps on coming. You keep getting older. Your body changes. Things happen around you. Circumstances, the economy, all kinds of stuff is going on. Life happens. So here it comes. And as it confronts us, we start experiencing its presentation. Health issues come. Relationships change. Our physical bodies are changing. Our moods change and our emotional levels change. Right? Financial pressures come. All this stuff. Now, as that happens, you and I start gathering data about them. We start pulling information in. Now, how many of you know that we spend a lot of time gathering what we can see through these senses? Gathering what our minds can figure out. Gathering, analyzing it. As a matter of fact, All of us have trained ourselves to look at life a certain way. Uh, Some people, you know, the the glass is half empty, the glass is half full, right? 
You know that? That's a training thing. Some people from early in their life, they either got around somebody, it was easier for them because of something about their own personality, to just feature the darkness of things. Highlight everything negative. Just talk about, well, well, you know, that's broke again. <laughs> and you know, if that's broke, then this thing is going to happen over here. And just every, every time they look at a situation, well, you got a 98, but why'd you miss that one? <laughs> you know, I have parents like that when you're kids growing up. Just wanted to, <clears throat> what, I missed that one. I got all the other ones right. But there's this thing in us that that's how we see life. And there's some folks just wired, they just see things differently than that. But all that is in us. And faith somehow needs to touch that. Life is coming. We're gathering the information. Remember last week we studied the, the story about um, the Israelites on the verge of going into the promised land. God tells them, I'm giving you that land. That's God's promise. I want you to take leaders, to take the fathers and the leaders of the tribes, I want you to send them as spies into the land to go check the place out. And remember they go over and they gather data. God told them, go over and gather data. But of course, God had given them the most important piece of data before they went. I'm giving you this land. They go over in there, they check, they look around, they hide behind bushes, they pull some fruit. They look and they see, wow, walled cities. Ever seen walled cities before? I've seen camps. I've seen, you know, people build on the side of a mountain. Walled How do you get at a walled city? Well, that'll be a new battle approach. Look at the size of these people. They're enormous. They move from this place. Well, that's probably just this group over here. And they move on a little farther in the land. They find another group. And they find another group. They find another group. They're gathering data the whole time. They come back. And they present their data to the rest of the, the, the people of God. And ten of them only saw with natural eyes, didn't they? Ten of them came back persuaded by what they could see with their senses. Two of them saw something else. Two of them saw something by faith. They saw what God had said. And it's such a simple, naive, little childlike presentation from them. Wait, guys, but God said. That's the simplicity of childlike faith. In the face of what looks like overwhelming odds against them, we should not pursue this. This, is, this should not be the course of action for us. But God said, and the final answer needed to be what God said. That's walking by faith. Now, now please notice this about these guys. Now, I'm going to say this politely because I actually think we could use to borrow some influence from these folks. You know, there has been in the last 20 years of the body of Christ a movement of teaching that, whether it's been called hyperfaith or uh, positive confession, it's kind of had the trimmings of that. Maybe you're not familiar with that, and if you're not, I'm not going to educate you about it this morning. But if you are, I think there's elements in that that were well-intended but just misplaced in emphasis. And I say this well-intended because, you know, you study faith in the Bible and you start trying to put it on, ain't nobody going to walk this thing out in a straight line. Here's the truth. You're going to be like this. Overemphasizing this dynamic, underemphasizing this one, overemphasizing this one. That's how we walk. Right? We start talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Overemphasize this, underemphasize that. That's how we walk. Now, and we want to be careful that we don't find fault with people who at least have a heart to want to walk it out. 
I think there's a lot of folks who saw something about faith in the Bible and they said, you know what, I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing it in my life. I'm not seeing it in people's lives around me. And doggone it, it looks like in the Bible we ought to see it. I commiserate with them. I think we ought to see it at a much greater level. So it's very possible when God convicts us about that, we kind of overdo it in a direction. I'd rather overdo it than not do it at all. So from that standpoint, I'm not being critical of folks who have done that. Uh, but there is something about faith that doesn't have this positive confession idea to it. When these guys went into the land, they really did see some things. And when the two spies and the ten of them came back and they, they began to talk about this, nobody, nobody said, no, 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 don't, don't say that. Don't speak that. That's not where the emphasis was. The emphasis was, we did see that, but God said something else. See, the emphasis was on God's side of the equation, not on a technique. You know, sometimes we're trying to stare at the moon. Instead of studying the moon, we're, we're, we're talking about the telescope. I think a lot of faith teaching has turned into that. Let's talk about faith. Let's talk about how to use faith. Let's talk about the dynamics of powerful faith to the neglect of the God who gives us the reason to believe. See, when the, when the spies believe, it's not because they figured out a technique. that They didn't say, whoa, 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 don't, don't confess about the big people over there. They're just vertically challenged or something. Don't say that they're big. You know, like, let's use different words. And that's, that's all a mind game. You know, look, look back up in Romans here. Romans has got everything in it. Romans chapter 4. <clears throat> Listen to what happens with Abraham. This is faith. This guy is the father of faith. This guy is, he's writing the book on faith. Verse 17 of Romans 4. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, who does that? God does that. Right? That's supposed to stoke our belief in, in who God is. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, now notice Abraham's technique, if there is such a thing here. He... Fully considers, I'm a hundred years old. Hundred-year-old men don't have children. My wife's 90. Ninety-year-old women don't have children. He fully considered that. What you don't hear in this story is Abraham telling Sarah, 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 don't, I don't want to hear you saying you're 90 again. Don't be confessing that. <laughs> we can have children. We can have children. We can have children. Let's say that, honey. He fully faced the reality of his circumstance. I'm 100 years old. My body's as good as dead. And baby, you're looking good, but you're not a spring chicken anymore. That's the reality. Now, what, what was the final word in that? But God has said something to us. Therefore, we are confident. He wasn't confident because he had, he had developed a technique that gave him confidence. If I say it this way. If you don't say that, we do all that, then we'll get there. No, he was confident because God said something. That's where confidence comes from. It's an assurance that God has said. And that's the final word on this thing. 
And though in the natural, this shouldn't work out this way. You know what? God gets great glory when you and I fully, fully take in the fact that, you know what, God, if you don't step in, this ain't going to happen. If you don't come in and be miraculous and be powerful in this, God, if this runs the course of what it looks like right now, it will end up this way. So that when it ends up over here, we go, whoo, but for God, this would be over there. We don't end up going, whoo, man, I got that technique thing down. I made it go from here to there. But yet there is something in us that God looks for faith to be occurring in us that he wants to see and is pleased when he does see it. We're going to respond in some kind of faith. Now, where do I get faith? Let me close with this thought. Getting faith is a matter of training your sixth sense to see what God has said and included in your gathered data. Andrew Murray says, Faith is very far from being a mere conviction of the truth of God's word or a conclusion drawn from certain premises. It is the ear that has heard God say what he will do. The eye that has seen him doing it. Therefore, where there is true faith, the answer must come. It simply must. When I have, when I have seen God doing it, though I have not seen it yet in the natural, when I have heard God say it will be, it simply must be. Because the sovereign God has said it will be, it simply must be then. So, where's the critical element here? Where do I get faith? I get it from knowing what God has said. Abraham didn't make something up. Abraham didn't grab some abstract idea out of thin air and then force God by presumption into giving him a child because he was 100 years old. Now, sometimes we use the Bible inappropriately, you know, if you were 100 years old here today, and you're hearing me tell that story, you don't have license to turn around and say, I got a word from God. No, you don't have a word from God. Abraham had a word from God. Now, God can give you a word, but you've got to get the word from God. And so, faith comes with how? Hearing the word of Christ. See, and I believe primarily that's this word right here. Because this is the only sure and absolute word that we have. But I don't think that's the only word. As a matter of fact, Abraham could not have found his word in here, could he have? There's nothing in Genesis that he could have pointed to. He says, man, I was wondering why my name was in there and the number 100 was right next to it. I was trying to figure that out. He, He had nothing but what God had spoken to him in his own heart. But you and I need to get faith from somewhere. It's got to come into our lives. And it needs to come by the word. This is what John Piper said, Future Grace. He says, the role of God's word is to feed faith's appetite for God. And in doing this, it weans my heart away from the deceptive taste of lust. At first, lust begins to trick me into feeling that I would really miss out on some great satisfaction if I followed the path of purity. But then I take up the sword of the Spirit and begin to fight. I read that it is better to gouge out my eye than to lust. Do you believe that? See, that's a faith issue, isn't it? God has said that. Did you even know God had said that? It would be better for you to have your eye gouged out than to, to embrace the temporary satisfaction of lust. 
I read that if I think about things that are pure and lovely and excellent, the peace of God will be with me. I read that setting the mind on the flesh brings death. But setting the mind on the spirit brings life and peace. I read that lust wages war against my soul and that the pleasures of this life choke out the life of the spirit. But best of all, I read that God withholds no good thing. It should be good thing, not food thing. I must have been hungry when I typed this. I read that God withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly and that the pure in heart will see God. You will see God. See, when I become convinced of God's word and God's promises, God said, this is better than that. What do I believe? Well, when I'm in unbelief, I believe that is better than this. God says, this will be more rewarding than that. When I'm in unbelief, I believe that will be more rewarding than what God has said. See, it's a battle about what I believe. But you know, when you and I confront life, Matt, go ahead and come up. I'm going to close here. When, when you and I confront life, we need to believe something. And, and, and life is going to be loud. It's going to cry out to you. Circumstances, events, changing times, emotional changes, all the things that, that you and I confront, that's going to be loud. It's going to have its day to say something to us. But faith, which needs to have the final word, comes by hearing the word of God. That's where it comes from. And when I am uninformed, I don't know what faith says. I don't know what promise God has for me. Well, then all I've got is the natural data. How many times I've had to talk with a wife who's married and and her husband is wayward. He's not walking out his role of being a godly provider, a godly husband, godly father. And the temptation for the wife is to gather all the data she can and draw her conclusion as to how she should feel, what she should do next, based on that information. But yet, the Word of God says something in the form of a promise in 1 Peter chapter 3. That, that wives are to be submissive to their own husbands. So that as you are submitted and as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, they may be one, even as though without a word from you. A husband who is wayward, there's a promise. You know, faith needs to grab what I don't see. I don't have any reason to believe this guy's going to change. But God. Who'll never leave me and never forsake me. Who's at work causing all things to work together for good for those who love him and called according to his purpose. Young people having a problem walking through life, walking through relationships. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you. You're pulling your hair out. Oh, this isn't going right. That's not going right. I'm not getting along with this. My parents are, well, how are you doing with your parents? Oh, man. So you've gathered all the data and you've made a decision. And you feel a certain way about your life. But what about faith grabbing what God said? You have a word from God. How about grabbing that word from God? If you gave this morning, and hopefully that's a pattern of your life, that you are a giver, comes to your finances of your life. But, but do you give full of faith? Not looking at your checkbook and going, okay, in the natural, if I do the math and I give that, that's going to be a problem here. In the natural, that's what I see. 
But in the Word, I see God saying, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will men press into your lap. Well, I know the Bible says that. Yeah, but do you believe it? Does it liberate you? Does it affect your life to where I can sit down and say, You know what? i got a bunch of needs over here. God, I don't know how you'll do it, but you're going to cause people to bless me. You're going to cause this to come into my life. I'm going to give, and you're going to give. I believe in you, God. Faith is going to have the final word in this arena. Listen, folks, this is serious, serious ground. It's a passage. It's the last thing I put in your outline. Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Therefore, let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it, For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard it. Let's stand up together. Lord, you, you are working in our midst to make us a people who would pray. And Lord, you know, because you have designed our relationship with you, that we're not going to pray where there's an absence of faith. Lord, if we have looked through the lens of our lives, gazed with natural abilities, and seen and concluded how things will come out, And we're convinced of that. Well, then there won't be any prayer. There'll just be a lot of worry, a lot of complaining, a lot of living in fear, a lot of retreating, backing away, becoming depressed. But Lord, if we're looking at life through the lens of what you have said, and your word is the final word, what a difference our prayer life will be. For, Lord, we will be insistent before you. We will be full of anticipation. We will have confidence and assurance. Lord, though it looks like it's about to end up a bad way, Lord, Lord, we know what it is to play on the winning team. We know what it is to have a God who is undefeated. So, Lord, when we confront that next moment, that next problem, we know you have something to say about this, Lord. God, we need to be a people who are convinced of what you have said. Lord, make us to be a people who know what you've said. Lord, keep us from being a people who walk into the land and see there's giants, there's problems. And we don't know you said, but I'm going to give you that land. And if we did hear it, Lord, it's not being united with faith in our hearts. For though we acknowledge it, we might even say, oh, I've heard that, or I know that. Lord, let us be convinced this morning. We may know it without having faith in it. We may be aware of something without being convinced and having assurance. So, Lord, we need your word. We need you to convince us, Lord. We need to become much more aware of what your word contains. What you have already said. 
and what you are saying to us right now. So Lord, as, as, as a body of believers, Lord, we're going to pause right now before your throne. And Lord, bring to our minds right now the top few circumstances that have most captured our attention this week and in our recent lives. Lord, what, what is it that we are concerned about? What are we down about? What are our emotions being affected by? What are we, in our minds, rehearsing plans for? What conversation have we had with some other person five or six times in our own mind? Touch those areas right now and, and speak to us and let us know. Lord, I want to hear you say, Keith, you have not looked at that area and brought in what I have said about it. You've only brought what you've said about it. You've only brought what you've observed. But you've not got my word on that thing. Lord, I pray that you'd show all of us. And God, as we move from this place and this time into a time of prayer, God, I pray that you would come and you would excite our hearts in faith to hear what you have said, Lord. And to pray in agreement with what you have said, Lord. You have said something about these things. God, open our hearts and place in us a biblical anticipation, a confidence and assurance that your will will be done. And when we pray, Lord, we're not praying with our fingers crossed. We're not praying because we're supposed to pray, but we really don't believe anything is going to happen. God, we're praying because we know if you said it, it's going to happen, Lord. You're going to do it, Lord. And so we pray in that light. We present ourselves to you to pray in faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's take five minutes, break to go potty or whatever you need to do. Let's come back here.